If you brought your Bible with you this evening, let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. If you didn't bring a Bible, we have extra Bibles. Be glad to let you use one of ours. Raise your hand and uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. He said, for as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. He said, just like the human body, it's one body, but it's got all kind of parts. He said, the body of Christ is just like that. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Well, no, it still is. If the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Well, no, it still be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? Well, there wouldn't be any. If the whole body was hearing, where were the smelling? Well, you wouldn't have any. But now has God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. Let me just keep reading tonight. If they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body? I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. How many believe there are no unnecessary body parts in the body of Christ? Every member is needed. Every member is important. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. There are some parts inside you that if we took out and laid here on the podium, you wouldn't like the way it looks. But I assure you, you don't want to be without it. So it's inside and it's covered up. It's a gland or it's an organ and it might not be so pretty to look at. And you don't see it and it's all hidden inside. But you sure want to keep it. You want it exactly where it's supposed to be. You want it doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. Every part is important. He goes on to say, verse 24, our comely parts have no need. But God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. For whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. For now you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God has set, he uses that term again, We saw that he set, verse 18, now has God set the members, every one of them in the body as it has pleased him. Verse 28, God has set some, not everybody, but some in the church. He set first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? No. 
That'd be like saying, are all eyes or ears? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Have all the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now notice here, he's talking about body parts, and he first of all identifies them by their names, but then he begins identifying them by their graces. You can identify a body part by a name it's been given, or you can identify it by the function it performs. Actually, a lot of the Latin names for body parts describe function. If you didn't know what it was, never been named before. What would you try to name it? If it's a bird and it's really blue? Hey, bluebird. <laughs> would work (laughs) and a lot of the words even though they don't sound like that to us it's because they're not English they're from other they're from French origin or they're from uh, Latin or or Greek a lot of them are from Greek but they describe the function and so apostle is a name prophet is a name but it's also descriptive because prophets prophesy teacher is a name but it's also a description because teachers do what What are we going to call this guy? He teaches all the time. Teacher. (laughs) And then instead of saying evangelist, because you don't see evangelist in this list, but you see working of miracles and you see gifts of healings. Can you see this? And the list goes on. Governments. You don't see pastor in this list, but you'll see pastor in governments. And he said, verse uh, 31, covet earnestly the best gifts and yet show unto you a more excellent way. So we're looking at the title of the series is Graces and Places. And we've established from numerous scriptures that every one of us has a specific God-ordained place where we fit in the body. And everyone, somebody say everyone. Every one of us has been given grace or graces, a gift are gifts that enable us to be that body part and perform the function of that specific body part. Now, why would he talk about body parts, looking at other body parts and saying, well, if I'm not that, I'm nothing. I'm not part of the body. This has always been an ordeal, an issue. Now, is it true That in the body of Christ, we have body parts that are out of their place. Hmm? That have no clue what body part they are, or where they're supposed to be, or what they're supposed to be doing. What if 20% of your body parts were dislocated? (laughs) You know, they're in the wrong place. What if 30% of your body parts did absolutely nothing? They just lay there and would not do a thing. Totally non-functional. Could this be the condition of the body of Christ? Let me ask you like this. Do you suppose every member, I'm a member, you're a member, everybody born again. 
is a member in the body. Do you think it would be reasonable to suppose that every member in the body of Christ is in their place doing what they're supposed to be doing? Then we do have some issues. And that's why we're teaching on this and talking about it. Go with me please to Ephesians. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians 4 is a, in many ways a companion passage to our text in 1 Corinthians 12. Ephesians 4 and verse 4. What does it say? There is, how many? One body. How many bodies of Christ are there? Only one. One and only one. One body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. Somebody say one, one, one. Verse 7, but unto every one of us is given grace. Do you have grace? Have you been given grace? Whether you've identified it and developed in it or not, believe the Bible. Everybody said out loud, I've been given grace. I am graced. I am gifted to do what I'm made to do. Believe it now. See, the devil will lie to you and say, oh, you got nothing to offer and what grace have you got? You, you're dumb this and you can't do that. and you, you know, It can be that you just haven't found your right place. We talked about this. You know, you take the most brilliant neurosurgeon and put him on top of a skyscraper with a welding torch <laughs> or a welding machine and say, you know, this beam has got to hold all this weight. And he might look at you and say, I don't know how to do this. And if that's all you knew about him, say, well, you're useless. Get down. Or you might take that welder. He might be one of the best welders in the world. And you put him in the operating room. And there's a guy there with his head shaved and they've drawn all over it. And they says, okay, what instrument you want first? He says, oh, no. No, I don't know any. Do you know what this is? You know what that? No, I don't know anything about it. It's not that he's stupid or that he can't do anything. You got him in the wrong place. And there's so many people like that. They're in the wrong place. In Ephesians, keep reading, to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some, and he's talking about the body of Christ, and every member in the body has been graced. Some of the body parts have been graced like this. They've been graced to be apostles. They've been graced to be prophets. They've been graced to be evangelists or pastors or teachers. And these gifts, he tells us, were given, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. He mentions these gifts were graced to help the other members find and develop in their graces. Let me say it like that. So not only has the Lord called you and graced you, but he's given you gifts to help you find your graces. Isn't he good? 
leaders, and he mentions in the fivefold ministry gifts, these are leaders. Leaders are specially anointed and graced to help you find your place. There have been several people over the years that the Lord had joined to Phyllis and myself and our staff and ministry, and they had it in their mind they were going to do this. And the Lord showed us something else. And at the time, they thought we were wrong. But as the years went by, they're so glad they got in the other area. Now they're more thrilled with that than anything else because it helped them find their place. Leaders are graced to help the other part find their place and develop in their grace. You know, so many people are not getting the full benefit out of these gifts because they won't give them enough place in their lives. You know, there are numerous times that Phyllis and I have said this. People have just told us, well, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And the Lord told us to do this, and he told us to do that. And so many times we didn't say anything because after they left, we look at each other and say, well, they didn't ask us anything. They just told us. And when somebody says, the Lord told me, what are you going to say? No, he didn't. You know, unless the Lord really said something. I mean, of the Holy Spirit... Unless you give place to him, he won't say certain things to you. And he won't do certain things in your life. You have to give place to him. You have to yield to him. And the Lord said this to me several years ago. We were teaching on something, some series we had, I forget. But but he said, uh, many of my people are not deriving, they're not receiving the full benefit of the ministry gifts I've given them. Because they're not giving them place. And religion and tradition has reduced pastors and leaders and ministry gifts to hirelings. Businessmen run the church and they change out pastors every year or two just for good measures to shake things up. And the pastors are scared to preach on the wrong thing or rub somebody the wrong way because they'll fire them like that. Did you hear me now? Well, they're certainly not giving them place to speak into their lives as to where they fit and what their graces are. Now, are they? They're telling them what they can preach on and what they can't and when they can stay and when they got to go. The Lord never intended it to be that way. He's describing here what he has done. How many understand this is very important? He descended into the lower parts of the earth. This is his redemptive work. He rose from the dead. He ascended up on high. He sat down at the right hand of majesty. And he gave gifts. Glory to God. This is big. He gave gifts. And what was the purpose of giving of these gifts? Read it with me. For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Until we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unto a perfect or mature man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. How many of that's grown all the way up? That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. And carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness. Whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Why are so many people so easily deceived? Jesus looked at people in his day and he was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep without a shepherd. 
Why are they being scattered? No leadership. Or if there's some there, they're not giving it place. They're not following. He said that they henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every, how many parts? Every part makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Does that sound good to you? But you know, somewhere or another in the King James and the Elizabethan, it sounds nice, but I don't know if all of it soaks in. Let me read this to you from some other translations. The Amplified in verse 12 says, His intention was the perfecting and the full equipping of the saints, his consecrated people, that they should do the work of ministering toward building up Christ's body, the church. A handful of preachers are never going to build up the whole body of Christ. It's too big. It's too vast. Who's it going to take? It's going to take, it's like saying this, a handful of directive parts in the body is never going to accomplish all the body can do. It's going to take every member, isn't it? The NIV says, to prepare God's people for works of service. That's why we have service teams around here. So that the body of Christ may be built up. These ministry gifts have been given to prepare each body part and help the body part find its place, help the body part identify its graces and develop in them into a fully functioning part in its place. The New Century says Christ gave those gifts to prepare God's holy people for the work of serving to make the body of Christ stronger. To build it up in love. Can you say amen? Amen. Listen to verse 16 in the Amplified. This is the result of all this. For because of him the whole body, the church in all its various parts, closely joined and firmly knit together by joints and ligaments with which it is supplied. I just was talking about your friends. The people that are in your life that are born again and that you have fellowship with and they're a blessing to you and you're a blessing to them, that is not by accident. They're a body part that's in the same area of the body as you. And these joinings are God's joinings. And I believe, I believe I have scripture from the word that indicates that they are forever. The body of Christ is forever. The body of Christ is eternal, isn't it? 
I wouldn't be surprised if you and I see each other later on. If God joins you to others and to us, and I'm talking about year after year, and you know, it's supernatural that people get to know you really well over a period of years, including all your ignorance, your idiosyncrasies, and they still like you and still want to be around you. That's grace. I said, that's grace. And the same with you, with them. And there's a lot of us, we spend a lot of time together. And we still want to see each other tomorrow. Friend, with all the flesh that's around, that's grace. I said, that's grace. That is grace. Grace. Oh, His grace is wonderful. It's very great. His grace is greater as the song says, than all our sins. And the Word teaches that. Uh, listen to this in the Amplified. For because of Him, the whole body, verse 16, all its parts closely joined and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments with which it is supplied, when each part, with power adapted to its need, is working properly in all its functions, Grows to maturity, building itself up in love. If certain parts of the body, particularly the glands, the parts that produce the the hormones and the growth hormones, the heart, the parts of the body that delivers the oxygen and the supply, if they're not working right, a body would not grow up. Its development would be stunted and hindered and hampered. They've all got to be working right. Listen to the uh, today's English version. It says, under his control, all the different parts of the body fit together. And the whole body is held together by every joint with which it is provided. So when each separate part works as it should, the whole body grows and builds itself up through love. What's the Lord waiting on to return? He's waiting on the precious fruit of the earth. Because this body is huge. The body of Christ is huge. And there are yet many to be added to the body. Do you believe it? Every time you see unsaved folks, you ought to think, body parts. (laughs) We need them body parts. We don't know what they are, but... Everybody that should be saved, we've got to get them in. Because when the last member is sealed in place by the Holy Spirit, then the Lord can come again and receive us to Himself. Glory. And we will forever be the glorious church, the glorious body of the living Christ. He's the head. We are the body and always will be. This is something we are forever. But do you see the emphasis on every part working? Every part being in its place. Now he wouldn't have said all that he said in 1 Corinthians 12 about parts looking at other parts and saying, well, I'm not that, so I'm nothing, unless this was a big issue. The body of Christ is scattered. The body of Christ 
members are displaced and members are non-functional. We can pray about that. We can believe the words that he said, that he's coming back for a glorious church. So stuff's got to happen. But what we can do is see that we are. See to it. That we're in our place. Doing our job. Not messing around. Not waiting around. I want to ask the question and answer it tonight. What would happen with everybody in their place? Everybody functioning in their grace, exactly in their place, what would happen? What would happen? Amazing, mighty things, prophecies fulfilled, the earth shaken, the earth, the harvest reaped, the glory of the Lord filling the earth like the waters cover the sea, and our head returning for His body. Well, then we ought to be greatly interested in this happening, in this being done. Go with me to Judges, please. The uh, seventh chapter. And I want us to look tonight about Gideon and his 300 mighty men. You going to help me preach this tonight? I might want to preach this a little bit. That be okay with you? This is inspirational here, brother. This is. mm. Gideon was a man that was discouraged. You know, when you're beat down enough, you can lose something on the inside. And he, anytime they'd get anything, their enemy would come and take it away from them. Any little crop that they raised, any little bit of livestock that they raised, the enemy would come and just grab it and take it away from them. A lot of times hurt them or kill some of them when they took it away from them. And so you'd have to try to find your little grain and go somewhere and hide. While you tried to thresh it and beat it out or tried to make you some meal or some flour, if you got any food, you had to go around and hide. Like you're ashamed of it. And that's what he was doing. When the Lord sent an angel to appear to him and said, Get in, you mighty man of valor. He was hiding with his little bit of food. Beating it out and trying to prepare it in secret. Because he knew if the enemy knew, he'd come take it away from him. Don't this sound just like the devil? You get a little bit of something or get a little bit of head or a little blessing there and the devil wants to come take it away from you. He wants to steal it. But he's a defeated foe. And what Gideon found out is what every believer needs to find out. That even though you hadn't thought of yourself that way, you are more than a conqueror. The mighty one does live inside you. You can do all things through Christ. It shocked him when the angel said, you mighty man of valor. He said, mighty man of valor. You must be new in town. <laughs> and he told him about what the enemy's been doing. He told him about how small his family was. About how weak and broke everybody was. Didn't phase the angel. He spoke the word to him and told him God's going to use him. 
to deliver God's people. Get them out of this bondage. Overcome their enemies. Well, he did some things as far as cleaning up the area of the false gods. And then, boy, people rallied to him. 32,000 showed up to help him go fight the enemies. So they could get free. And so they could live a life of freedom like we enjoy in our country. You don't have to hide your food and can be free. Prosper. 32,000. Somebody say 32,000. 32,000. And then the Lord gave him some instructions. (laughs) Judges 7. Are you there? Say it again. How many was it? 32,000. Well, that's, that's a pretty good bunch to go fight. You ought to be able to do some fighting with 32,000. Now, the horde that had come against them, one individual said 100,000. I mean, it was a massive enemy. I mean, when they came, they ate up everything. They destroyed everything. It was a truly massive enemy force. But they figured with 32,000, they'd at least have a good fighting chance. And then the Lord said, (laughs) have you read this story? (laughs) Judges 7. Then Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them, by the hill of Moreh, in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people that are with you are too many. Now I suspect that shocked him. Because I'm sure he was thinking that the ones he had wasn't enough. They're too many. For me to give the Midianites into your hands. Now see that is the difference is it. As to who's going to defeat the enemy. Hmm? The Lord said for me to do it. You got too many people. He said lest Israel vaunt themselves against me. And say my own hand had saved me. He already knew. That if these 32,000 went. And how many stand, I don't care if it was 32,000. I don't care how brave and how hard they fought. Unless the Lord builds the house. Some trust in horses and some in chariots. But if you got any sense, you know it's the Lord that wins the battle. And he is the one you put your trust and your faith in. The Lord knew that if he did it and he gave them the victory, that they'd leave and take credit for it. They'd brag on themselves. He said, now therefore you go and proclaim in the ears of the people. And you say this, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early, leave from Mount Gilead. Boy, you're about to face an enemy horde that's already got you outnumbered three to one. And then you're going to go tell everybody, who in here is scared? You're about to go face people with, for hand to hand? 
bloody combat with a sword? Okay, everybody scared? Put up your head. All right, you go home. You see, one reason why God chose him, because he did it. A lot of people wouldn't have done it. And so uh, there returned of the people 20 and 2, not 22, not 2200, 22,000 people said, great, I'm gone. (laughs) And they left. So how many people did they have to start with then? 32,000. And then they remain now 10,000. Now it's 10 to 1 against them. 10 to 1? How'd you like to fight 10 guys on one? 3 to 1 was a challenge. Now the Bible says, we've already looked at this, New Testament, Matthew, other places. Many are called. What else? Few are chosen. Say it out loud. Many are called. How many are chosen? Few. The Bible said broad is the way and path that leads to destruction and many that go down it. But straight is the way to salvation and few, few that find it. The harvest is plenteous and great, but the laborers are Few, few. Now this is an undeniable reality. That there are many, 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 many who have the opportunity to do the Lord's work. But it will wind up that relatively few of them will actually do it and be a part. This is sobering. But you see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New, you see it in modern experience. How many are called? How many have the opportunity? Now let's just stop right here. How many of these guys could have stayed? None of them had to go. It was their choice, wasn't it? Did they have an opportunity to be a part of of a story that you and I are talking about centuries later of the glory of God manifested miracle day and how many think this will be remembered throughout eternity I mean all of us know who Gideon is don't we and there's a reason why it's because God said it was important he wanted it remembered he wanted it told inspires folks like me to preach on it In 2010. It's important. They could have been a part of that. Eternal. Glorious thing. They were not. There are two major separations here. And the first one. What separated them? Fear. 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 Is one of the most. Destructive. Robbing things in this life so many are robbed of so much because of fear everything the Lord's ever dealt with Phyllis and I to do 
And you see, you realize he's serious about this. The Lord's serious about this. He wants us to do this. You know what will come? The enemy will come try to get you in fear. Well, yeah, but what about? And how can I? And I never have. And who? And where? And how in the world? And, and friend, if you yield to that, if you yield to that, it'll get in your head and it'll cripple you and it'll darken your understanding and you'll get to the point where you'll pull back and you won't do it. And you'll be one of these 22,000 that you never hear anything else about. The story does not follow them. They were not a part. They had the opportunity to be a part and they chose to yield to fear. 32,000. 22,000 that were called. That could have been a part. Were not because of fear. The friend it doesn't take long to say that. But how many think it's very, very serious? And that you ought to sit in your heart. I am not letting fear hold me out. Say it out loud. I am not not letting fear fear hold me out. out. So much of the way the enemy works. Is people fearing about things. That were never going to be an issue anyway. I've seen it again and again. With preachers. With People born again two weeks ago or people born again 40 years ago. Same stuff. They're ranting and they're, they're fretting over, well, what about this? What about that? And, well, how do you know it's even an issue? Yeah, but I just don't know. And it's, it's scary. It's called stepping out by faith. <laughs> it's God's chosen way for you and I to live. You're not going to know. You're not going to see. He's not going to explain everything to you. He's going to open a door. He's going to say, go through there. And you'll bend over and go, what's in there? (laughs) And there'll be silence. (laughs) Yeah, but what happens next? And he'll show you and say, look at this. Isn't this amazing? And all you can see is giant walls and and devils everywhere. And he says, that's yours. Go get it. (laughs) And you'll go, huh? Yeah, but they're three times as big as I am. They're ten times as many of them. And it's going to take a hundred million dollars. And I don't think I could put my hands on ten thousand right now. And I don't even know anybody over there. And I mean, just thinking about when the Lord directed us to come over to Branson. There were a thousand reasons not to come. You know, sometimes people might think, you know, we talked about starting another work. And uh, I threw some numbers around. It might have seemed large to some folks on Vision Sunday. But uh, you want to go back and, and think of your first impression when you heard we began here. Because I know some of our own folks, some of them I heard it and some of them I didn't hear it, but I just knew it in my heart when we said we're going to go to the bigger place. They didn't say it, but they thought, why? And then when we talked about going to two services, they thought, huh, why? <laughs> Learn from that. I said, learn from that and don't question and don't pull back and don't put on the brakes. You've already seen some things. You've already seen God move. You've already seen God do some things and confirm some things. He expects some more out of you now. He expects you to jump up and say, here am I. Let's do this thing. It doesn't get too big for God. 
The limitations are with us, not with Him. He's able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. They had the opportunity. Tell me what held them out, what kept them out. I mean, you look at the whole generation of Israelites that God delivered out of Egyptian bondage. What kept them out? He said, I searched out the whole place for you. I found you a spot. It flows with milk and honey. Man, there are houses already built. There are vineyards already developed. All you got to do is go in there and possess it. And they were all excited. They were all hyped up until they found out there's giants in the land. And there's walled city and they think it's theirs. And they went back and sat down in their tents and they cried and they felt sorry for themselves and they could not be convinced to go take it. Was it the giants that kept them out? It was the fear that kept them out. Was it the walls that prevented them from enjoying that? Caused them to wander around out there in the desert for 40 years? No, it was the fear. Because the next generation, their children, overcame the same giants. Went through the same walls, didn't they? So it wasn't that that kept them out. It was the fear. It was the fear. Is fear your enemy, my friend? Is it one of the biggest enemies that you have? It is. Should you be on your guard anytime thoughts and feelings of fear come up in you or come up on you? Should you jump up inside and resist it with everything you got and say, I am not yielding to this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will not fear. I will fear no evil. I refuse to fear. Oh, friend, don't be afraid of failure. Don't be afraid of demons. Don't be afraid of what people think or what they might say. Or what they They're going to say some dumb stuff no matter what you do. Okay? Just be concerned about obeying God. Don't be afraid you can't do it. If the Lord's calling you to do it, He already knew what you could do and not do. And if you can't see how to do it, He must be planning on adding some grace to you. And adding some things to you. So you have no reason to fear. How many think you have no reason to fear. To follow God. And obey him and do what he told you to do. There's no reason to fear that. Because he loves you. He's looking. He's not going to hurt you. He's not going to abuse you. He's not going to maltreat you. He's not going to overload you. Is he? Can you trust him? Then are you going to let fear hold you out. And disqualify you. Keep you from stepping out and receiving all and doing all and being all and possessing all that God has made you to be. You will have to overcome fear to find your God-ordained place and to function in your God-ordained grace. You will have to. Everything that Phyllis and I, every every step we ever took that brought us up and further and more into the plan of God, you had to overcome fear. You had to. Now, the less place you give it, the less trouble you'll have with it. Everybody is tempted to fear. Everybody. But the ones that have, I mean, if you hung around me a lot, you might think I was never tempted to fear. Because the Lord has helped me as soon as it comes I shut it off like a faucet. Because I know if I yield to this, if I think about this, it'll mess with me. Are you with me? And if you won't give it any place, you don't have the trouble with it that other people have. 
Sometimes I'll speak right out loud. I mean, if it comes and thoughts try to mess with me, well, what about this? What if this don't? And how are you going to do this? Sometimes I'll say, if I'm by myself, I'll say, shut up. Shut up. The greater ones, I'll start talking to them. The greater ones inside me, I have the mind of Christ. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I got the unction of the Holy. You got to start talking. And you got to start remembering. Man, he did this, and he did that, and he did the other, and he did that, and he'll do this too. But we're not, I made up my mind, I'm not going to let fear disqualify me for what God's called me to be and do. I'm not going to do it. Say that loud, everybody. I will not let fear disqualify me, hold me out of what I'm called to do. Were these guys called to this? Yeah. Many are called. How many of them yielded to fear and missed a glorious opportunity? 22,000. Now keep reading. There was another separation. This is the one probably more people are familiar with. We started out with 32,000. Thought that wasn't enough. Now we're down to 10. <laughs> Wonder when those twenty-two thousand walked off, what the ones left thought. <laughs> mm. The majority is not always right. Going with the crowd can ruin you, cause you to miss the plan of God for your life. Some say, "Well, eighty percent of the church thinks this. What does that mean?" Fifty percent of my neighbors going to do this. That don't mean any of them heard from God. They could all be missing God. Aren't you glad you got the Holy Spirit inside you? 24-7. You can be led yourself. The Lord said to him, the people, verse 4, are yet too many. They are still too many. Come on now, put yourself in Gideon's shoes. <laughs> put yourself in Gideon's shoes. He just lost 22,000 of his troops. <laughs> and he's trying to figure out how he's going to do this with 10,000. And the Lord says, that's still too many. Huh? <laughs> still too many? And you see one reason why Gideon is in this story. Because he would hear the Lord and do it anyway. Because you know everything about his natural being got to be saying, there ain't no way. We're already down to this. Are we going to reduce it some more? <laughs> and the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I'll try them for you there. And it'll be that of whom I say to you, these shall go with you, the same will go with you. And whomever I tell you, this will not go with you, the same will not go with you. So he brought, them down, he brought down the people to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, now, you know, this is a perfect picture of faith. Doesn't the Lord know who he's going to wind up with? Why didn't he just give him a list? Could he have given him a list of the 300 when there were 32,000? Why didn't he do it that way? He didn't want to do it that way. He's doing it the way he wants to do it. Which is the faith way. And faith, he leads us by steps. 
So he told him, take them down there and I'll tell you what to do. How many know you're not going to find out what to do as long as you stay up here? You've got to take them to the water. So he's taking them to the water and he don't know why he's taking them to the water. Lord just told him, I'll show you what to do when you get there. Remember, the Lord told Saul that. He said, go into the city. It'll be told you what you must do. You mean I'm not going to find out till I get to that? That's right. If you haven't got enough faith to obey me not knowing, then you're not going to find out anything else. It takes faith. And if you're too scared to do it until somebody sits down with you and explains it to you, to your satisfaction, and shows you exactly how and make you feel better and hold your, your hand and comfort you and make you feel good about it. Well, I, I can't go till I understand. Well, then you're going to miss the plan of God. When he says do it, do it. And realizing he'll show me the next step when I get there. He leads us by his spirit and he expects faith, doesn't he? Faith. So he said, all right, when they got to the water. He said, everyone that laps of the water with his tongue as a dog laps, him will you sit by yourself. Likewise, everyone that bows down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down on their knees to drink water. Wonder which group Gideon was hoping (laughs) would be the one. But then the Lord said, all right. By the 300 that lapped, that's who I'm going to use to save you. And deliver the Midianites into your hand. And let all the other people go, everyone, to his place. So he dismissed 9,700 and sent them home. And he started out with 32,000. Now he's got 300 that he lost 99%. Didn't he? What's 1% of 32,000? Huh? 320? How many has he got? So it really is true. Many are called. Few are chosen. This is a sobering thing, isn't it? How many had opportunity? 32,000. How many got used? 300. 1%. Of who it was available to. Got used. That is sobering. The first separation. Was fear. What's the second one? I'd say it like this. Flesh. Why would you say that brother Keith? Well simple. They're obviously thirsty. Maybe a lot thirsty. And they get to the water. And there's two main responses in these 10,000 people. Some of them reach down and get the water in their hands and bring it up to their mouth. And the Bible said they lapped it. But that's what they did. The majority of them ran, fell down on their knees, put their head in the water, What's going on with these ones that didn't, the 300? Don't you reckon they're just as thirsty as the other ones? Hmm? But what are they? They are controlled. Their appetites are not controlling them. They're just as thirsty as the guy that ran. Isn't this a picture of the flesh? You ran 
fall on your knees, put your head in the water. Ah, I'm so thirsty. Well, these guys were just as thirsty as they were. But they're controlled. And they're measured. And the Lord saw something in their heart. How many understand the outward shows the inward? And he said, that's the ones I'm going to use right there. So many are called and have great opportunity, but they're flesh. They just yield to it. All of us have desires. And all of the desires you have are not necessarily bad, but they all must be controlled. No matter how strong an urge or physical or emotional desire is in you, how many know you're not supposed to just run and fall on your knees and put your head in the water and just yield to it? There's a right time and there's a right way to even yield to a good desire. And it should always be demonstrated, this thing is not controlling me. I'm controlling this. I'm only yielding to this to the measure that it's right. But I'm in control. But Paul talked about, you know, all things are lawful for me, but I won't be brought under the power of any of it. Look in 1 Corinthians 9. Hold your place there in Judges. We're not through. 1 Corinthians 9. They'll put it up on the screen for us. 9.27. What do you say? But I... Keep under my body. And I bring it into subjection. Is he talking about controlling himself, his body? Lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Today's English version says it like this. It says, I harden my body with blows. And I bring it under complete control. To keep myself from being disqualified. Were the uh, 9,700 disqualified? What's the difference between them and the 300? The 300 were controlled about their drinking water. The other ones were yielded to abandon. Fall down, throw your head in, slurp like a horse. Why? Because I'm thirsty. Well, they were thirsty too. Can you control your desires? Some desires are just wrong. But yielding to them can disqualify you. Some desires are okay, but you still, you know, like you heard the lady testifying. I mean, it's not necessarily a sin to eat a chicken wing or a potato chip. But if it's controlling you, if you're saying, I don't want to eat this much, but you are, who's in control? Can that kind of thing disqualify you? Can it hinder just the condemnation of knowing that you're not in control of yourself? Will undermine your faith? Hinder you? And how many believe the Lord is well able to strengthen you so that you can overcome all of that? You heard her testify. I don't care if it's drink, if it's drugs, if it's food, if it's sex, if it's shopping. doesn't make any difference. If you don't control yourself, if you just yield to your desires and and just abandon yourself to them, you just fall on your knees and stick your head in it and wallow in it, you'll be disqualified. 
even though it was available to you, even though you had the opportunity, it'll keep you from being apart. Now, I've made up my mind that by the grace of God, <laughs> I'm not going to be a part of the 22,000 cowards. By the grace of God, I can be what I'm supposed to be. I don't have to yield to fear. So I do not have to be robbed of my glorious kingdom opportunities by yielding to fear. And I've made up my mind too. By the grace of God, I'm not going to be a part of the 9,700 that just yielded to their flesh and missed their opportunity. By His help, I can control myself. I can, like Paul said, keep my body under control. Bring it into subjection. Control myself. Control my eating. Control my sleeping. Control my eyes and my mind and my thinking. You must if you're going to be used of God. How many understand? I mean, the Lord's blessed us and a lot of you love us and and appreciate us. But what if uh, this past week I just decided to do drugs and chase women and, and steal and lie? Could I mess it up? Could I? Could I throw it all away? Even though God called me, anointed me, even though he gave me good revelation, could I yield to my flesh? Sir, any day of the week. Would it cost you? Could it keep you out? Okay, if I did that, what's going to happen to the plan? What if there are other works? What if there's other ministry? What if there's thousandfold word supply? What would happen to all that? I wouldn't be it. I wouldn't get to do it. Is this serious? Well, it's just as serious if you yield to your flesh and mess up your opportunities. So we're down now to 1%. Less than 1%. I never saw that till today. Less than 1% of the ones that were called and had the opportunity. But I've made up my mind, by the grace of God, I'm going to be one of them. Anybody in here with me tonight? Can you be one of them? Say it out loud, I'm going to be one of them. One of them. Let's read about them. What happened? What happened? What happened? Go back to Judges. Mm, Glory to God. There's some shouting stuff right here. (laughs) Gideon obeyed. He sent all of them home that ran, fell down in the water, and abandoned themselves to satisfy their thirst. And he took the ones that were measured and controlled. And verse 7, the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men that lapped, will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into your hand, and let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took victuals in their hand, and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And they had not shrunk at all, they hadn't got any smaller, and they looked impossible to defeat with 300 and so the Lord knew he needed something else to help him out he's so gracious and good and so it came up in his heart for him and some of his guys to sneak down to the camp and just look around and listen and they just happened to come to a certain tent and heard a guy tell about a dream 
about a, what was it, a barley cake that rolled down the hill and smashed the tents, knocked them all aside, and Gideon realized, I'm that cake. That's, that's me. That's the word of the Lord. And he got stirred up. He needed something. His resource has been reduced by 99%. He needed a little encouragement. And uh, he got it. And he also got the plan. God gave him the plan. And uh, skip on down for time's sake. That uh, verse 15. It was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, he worshiped the Lord. He returned to the host of Israel and he said, get up. For the Lord has delivered into your hand the host of Midian. That is big talk. (laughs) That is faith talk. And he divided the 300 men into three companies of 100. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand. Have you heard this every man? Every man. Under every man. Grace. Under every man. He put in every man's hand a trumpet with an empty pitcher and a lamp within the pitcher. Every man had a trumpet. Every man had a light in his pitcher. Oh, yeah. Every man had a trumpet and could make some noise. And every man had a light in his earthen vessel. That's what a pitcher was. It's a clay pot. You remember the scripture says, hold your place and, and turn and look at it. Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter. Mm-hmm. Say it out loud. Fear is not going to hold me out. Flesh is not going to keep me out. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians 4 and 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are a born-again, God-ordained, specialized, rare and precious member of the body of Christ. And He has put within us treasure that is light. Come on, can you see it? The ones that overcome the fear and the ones that overcome the flesh are the ones with a trumpet in one hand. And fire in the clay pot. Hey. And these are the ones. God can use in the earth. To do mighty and marvelous things. Miraculous things. And though it seems like what could you do with 300. You can do what you couldn't do. With 32,000. Because it's not by might. 
And it's not by man's power. But the Lord said it's by my spirit. Go back to Judges. Look at this. Look at this. Get ready to shout. Hey, hey. Said out loud, got trumpet in my hand. Got fire in my pot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's light and sound. That's light and that sound. Verse 17, he said to them, Gideon said, look at me and do what I do. This is not a man hiding, trying to grind out a little flower somewhere. This is that mighty man of valor that God said he was. He had to overcome his own fears. He had to overcome his own flesh, didn't he? He could have run. He could have quit. He could have said, ain't no way. But here he is with his trumpet. And his fire in his pot. He said you watch me. You do just what I do. Because the Lord is going to give us all his host. Sounds like David out there with his slingshot don't it? Come on I'm going to take your head today. And God's going to give us all the host of the Philistines. It ain't just big talk when the Lord told you. So, he said, verse 18, when I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, three companies. So the company he's with, we start blowing the trumpets, then you blow your trumpets on every side of the camp. And then you holler and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him, they came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Now, when you break the pitcher, what's going to happen? You're going to see the light. The flesh is out of the way, and the light is shining, and the trumpet is sounding. And the three companies blew the trumpets and they broke the pitchers and they held the lamps with their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow. And they cried and they said, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place. Every one of them was in their place. And their light was shining and their life was preaching. The sound of the trumpet. I said their light was shining and their life was preaching. And every one of them was in their place. We started out talking about this. What happens when everyone gets in their place? And everyone is operating in their grace. And their light is shining. And their life is speaking. Read, read, read. And all the host ran and cried and fled. That's what happens. I said, that's what happens. When everybody gets in their place and everybody's operating in their grace and their light is shining and their life is preaching 
Everybody that sees them is hearing the gospel, just watching them. And seeing the light, just watching them because they're in their place. What happens? What happens? The battle is won. The enemy is crushed. The needs are met. And the enemy is confused. And they run and they cry. No wonder the devil has done everything he can do to keep us confused and to keep us out of our place and ignorant of our grace. And it doesn't take the billions of the planet. Gideon's 300 did it. Can you say glory to God? Stand up on your feet, everybody. Oh, hallelujah. Who am I preaching to tonight? Is it the scores of thousands that are too scared to get up and do anything? Is it the thousands who won't control their flesh? No. To who am I talking to? Let me see. Trumpet in one hand. And what? Light. <laughs> Light in the other. Oh, hallelujah. Lift up your hands and praise him some, saints. Oh, Father, we bless you. Oh, Father, we glorify you. Oh, Father, we magnify you. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, while you praise him, set in your heart, you're going to be one of them. You're going to be one of them. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, praise you, praise you, praise you, praise you. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.